to episode 164 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 14th of February 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan, Red Storm Rising, <laughs> Graham, <laughs> Red Dawn, and Will. Is this a test of the emergency broadcast system? <laughs> no, come on, it's supposed to be Valentine's Day. We're supposed to be uh, happy and loved up. Well, that's what I was talking about. Hearts and all that sort of thing, you know. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not worried about uh, being on the brink of a precipice. No, no, no. Again. Anyway, let's ignore geopolitical news and talk about Linux news instead. The first one being that Slackware 15 has been released. This is knocking on for 10 years after Slackware 14 was released. We've had a couple of point releases in between, but things seem to be slowing down, but it's not quite dead yet. I have never used Slackware. I started out on Red Hat, I don't know, three or something, but I've never used Slackware. I've never properly used it. I think we used it um, as a podcast challenge years ago, but it was always Slackware users who got in touch with us to tell us how long they've been using Slackware. I remember that. Yeah, no doubt people will write in and tell us they still use it and they're really happy about all the great new features in this one. But yeah, I've never properly used it. I've only ever just tried it out for challenges and stuff like that. I've never even tried it for that. Well, I went to install this to check it out, booted up the live USB, and then it was like CF disk, and I was like, oh, fuck this noise, and just uh, called it a day. But maybe we should try it. If enough people write to us and tell us we should, then maybe we'll give it a go. And uh, Is it going to be that interesting, though? I can't remember. It's been a while. The funny thing is, at about 22 minutes past three on the 4th of February, I downloaded the DVD and then forgot I'd done that because I was going to try it. And it is amazing that it's still going. I mean, we've not mentioned it, but it's one of the very first distributions if it, if, if it probably predates the word distribution. Um, mm. So it's great that it's still going. Yeah, it's certainly the oldest surviving distro. Yeah. And I think it's quite indicative of how stable Linux has become that it can get away with so many years between releases. Maybe it has its own half-life, if that isn't uh, <laughs> a pun. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it light, come on. <laughs> so in Raspberry Pi news... Firstly, they have promoted the 64-bit version of Raspberry Pi OS to mainstream. It's not default, but it's no longer in beta. Yeah, this is um, pretty good news, I think. And I've I've installed it. I run um, Home Assistant for all the home automation stuff, and I grab all of the kind of data on things. And Home Assistant is rubbish for kind of storing data. You need a backend like InfluxDB. And InfluxDB 2.0, kind of the major release that happened a couple of years ago, I'm sure Will could tell us, it's only 64-bit only. And so I was able to install 64-bit Raspberry Pi OS on my um, Pi that runs Home Assistant and install Influx and Grafana and get all nice stats and long-term backend for storing all my electricity usage and temperatures and things like that. So, and it felt great. Um, it felt faster to me. I know they think probably the performance reviews say it's going to be a bit slower and I guess there is that overhead with 64-bit addressing, but... Oh, no, well, Michael at Pharonics did a bunch of benchmarks and generally speaking, 64-bit came out on top, even quite significantly in some areas. Oh, that's good. That kind of matches my kind of just anecdotal experience, but it was a pleasant experience. And the other Raspberry Pi news is this network install beta test. So I've tried this out and... First of all, you have to put an image on an SD card and boot the Pi with that. It only takes a few seconds, and that flashes a new firmware onto the Pi. And then after that, if you plug in a Pi with no SD card, no USB devices except for a keyboard, 
as long as you've got an Ethernet cable plugged in, you can download the Raspberry Pi imager and then stick an SD card in and it'll download any of the officially supported operating systems, flash it to the card, reboots, and then you're into the operating system. That sounds pretty cool. I love this. Yeah. Yeah, it means that you no longer need a computer to run a Raspberry Pi. Well, except for that very first SD card that you have to... <laughs> well, yeah, but once this becomes the default firmware on one that you buy, you'd be able to just buy a Pi, a power supply, an SD card, Ethernet cable, okay, all the peripherals anyway. <laughs> but you won't need that other laptop or desktop. Oh, talk about taking away my business opportunity here. I was going to go around flashing SD cards for people. <laughs> it does make sense for educational stuff, though. Yeah, I think, it, like you guys have said, it's a really important step. It'd be nice, I mean, if, if they could come up with some way of augmenting it with like an app so that you can do it without even plugging it into anything, um, connect over to the Bluetooth on the Raspberry Pi and, you know, instruct everything from the phone, maybe that kind of thing can come from this. That seems a bit ambitious. Well, I don't see why not. I mean, it would be relatively straightforward. I can imagine a situation in the not-too-distant future that with one Raspberry Pi on your network, you'll be able to netboot other Raspberry Pis on your network straight into the OS from, from one sort of controller, and then you'll be able to perhaps orchestrate a whole deploy of, of multiple devices all in one go. And that would be really, really good for, for like schools, for example. And I've had a better idea. Instead of the app, of course, you could just run some simple web interface to Imager. So you could do that mm. across a you know a URL. Mm. All right, time to bash Mozilla. <laughs> First of all, their update on Firefox Reality. Who knew? Yeah, who knew that they had a virtual reality browser? Graham, presumably you, you're into that sort of thing. I am, but I must admit, it kind of slipped my mind. I think I might have tried it back in the day. I don't know if I could ever get it to work. And it seems like it's such a bizarre concept anyway when... Oh, I don't know. It's a strange use of resources. It reminds me a lot of um, VRML. Do you remember that? Mm. What's that? VRML was like um, an HTML for virtual reality websites, but probably in the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, so you create a kind of cheap second life for all of your websites. Nah, it was Lawnmower Man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I invested, well, I don't know, weeks learning VRML, and I thought it was amazing at the time, and then it quietly died. It's a shame. Well, Firefox Reality Browser has not died. It's just gone to live at wolvic.com. So it's like Mozilla have just said, yeah, we're, we're done with it. You lot can have it and do what you want with it. Giving it to the community. Yeah, which, you know, at least they're not spending all their Google and Yahoo billions on it anymore. I think the thing with this is that we already have the capabilities in the web to like do really immersive 3D websites if that's what you want to do via a headset. I don't see why you need Firefox reality or a specific something for that to enable it. I've never really understood that. It's the same with the other experiments. Google did it with Chrome as well, kind of Chrome Lab with all of these 3D environments. But you can do that anyway with well, WebGL. All right, Phelan, you found this one. And it's uh, Mozilla teaming up with Meta, formerly Facebook. What could go wrong? Just why? So they're calling a privacy-preserving advertising technology where they can allow people who are advertising something to still harvest the bejesus out of your data <laughs> while also pretending that it's private. Uh, multi-party computation 
is what they're using, which all just sounds like a right lot of rubbish. And they've called it IPA, a beer, the only beer I hate. So <laughs> this just deserves to die on so many levels. It sounds surprisingly honest, though, if they were the words of the press release, Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a bit of paraphrasing going on there. Never. I don't know. Like, it sounds in theory all right to me. Now, how about you advertise for the things that you think the listeners to, say, a podcast would listen to and purchase that product and just send it to them? Why does everybody need to know down to the finest second of how much you want or need something? Because that's just how it works. That's ad tech. You can't put it back in the bottle, much like nukes and stuff. (laughs) Well, maybe you can um, if time starts to flow backwards. At the end of the universe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But back in the real fucking world, you can't stop it, can you? All you can do is try and deal with what we've got. And Mozilla working with Meta, okay, that is just sort of instantly uncomfortable. But who else are they going to work with? Anybody but the company that has single-handedly destroyed democracy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, but you kind of have to keep your friends close and your enemies closer or something like that you know you have to work with the people who are fucking shit up in order to fix shit don't you i don't know if they had a compelling case for how you know relevant they were maybe but they're not they've seemed to ostracize their principles and now they're teaming with people that you would expect the people who like firefox don't like it's it's bizarre It is bizarre and it sounds suspiciously like google's system flock which Mozilla came out and were like actively against the whole thing. And now they just hopped into bed with Facebook. So now it seems like the reason they were against Google's idea in the first place is because they'd already done some deals with Facebook. That's a very cynical view, Will. Yeah, I have to agree. But most importantly, it's like, why can't they kind of engage with their users more? I mean, they're always looking for these kind of opportunities with big corporations, whereas we're all relying on Firefox to be this kind of bastion of independence. And it doesn't feel like they engage with us in any meaningful way. Um, We've said that before, but I feel like they're really missing an opportunity to use us to drive development, to say what we want, which will, I think, drive more people to Firefox. Maybe they could ask us on a new tab whenever we open the browser. <laughs> oh, you know, I installed Firefox on, a win- on that Windows PC the last time, and I have not realized how bad that color picking thing is at the start because I never got it mm. on Linux. But every time I open the browsers, do you want to try these colors? I was like, no, I don't. Just leave it alone. <laughs> All right. What about this pocket migration to Firefox accounts? Oh, I guess it makes sense, but... I don't want to moan constantly. I mean, I use Pocket. (laughs) I think we should. (laughs) I was quite excited when uh, Mozilla took over Pocket because I I really wanted a kind of um, an archive of bookmarks, a kind of read it later that was open source and in the hands of somebody like the Mozilla Foundation. I thought it would improve, but I and how many years have I used it? I don't know, over a decade. They haven't improved a single thing. They're still pushing the pro version for whatever that does. Um, I have all kinds of problems with skipping between tags. It's so unusable. And, and this is kind of the least of things that I care about, that it's moving to Firefox accounts, which is actually something I've avoided because um, I just don't trust Firefox accounts. I, I don't know why. I trusted it when there used to be an open source version of the password manager. I could self-host that. But since that migrated only to be managed by Mozilla, which is probably a good thing for most people, I've just not wanted to do it. And I don't want to be forced into doing it. 
I actually used the accounts and syncing service for the first time when I set up a new laptop for my dad. I talked about getting uh, Thunderbird working. I just could not work out which directories to copy over to get all his settings and everything. And in the end, I said, fuck it, and just created an account, signed in on the other machine, synced all perfectly, and then just signed out of the account. Job done. It is a good feature. Phelan, you use it all the time, don't you? Yeah, but I've been meaning to move away to um, the thing that Graham uses, ironically enough. Ever since he talked about that a very long time ago, oh, I pass went. For the yeah, password stuff, I, I yeah. keep meaning to do it, and I just never get around to it. I think one of the good things about Pass is that I think I've got like 270 passwords in there, and I know. <laughs> um, you kind of have some kind of idea of your footprint on the internet. Yeah, it's it's very annoying when you're using the Firefox accounts thing, and you're trying to find what you think you had an account for a system, but you just can't find whatever way it was either IP IP address or some host name that you didn't quite get right. It's just it's really awful to use, try and search through. The password store open source app on Android is absolutely amazing. It's really improved. It's got fingerprint recognition. And also it's become really clever at knowing when you're trying to input a, f- a field and you can search the store in exactly the same way that you're saying failing for your, for your own pass folders. So it's really improved even in the last 18 months, two years. Damn it. I need to do it now. That'll be my next find. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose this consolidation was overdue, though. Yeah. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if they're maintaining two separate databases of accounts when they're all the same company. I hope it just means better integration of Pocket and Firefox. Phelan, you hope it means less integration somehow. You're you're worried, aren't you? (laughs) I just hope it goes away. Not Firefox, but I mean, at this point, I'm now starting to look seriously at other browsers because they jumped the shark so long ago now at this point, it's, it's become embarrassing. My pocket list isn't secret. I'm not too bothered about who knows what's in that. Um, and I find it really useful. Um, it's even useful if you happen to be offline and it's downloaded stuff for you to read later. Um, I think it's a pretty cool aug- augmentation of the web. I've got a real clunky plugin that does the same thing. Shit. And uh, because I changed my theme earlier, I can't actually see it because when I hover over it, it just comes as a black box. Fuck. But why use a plugin when Pocket is built right into the browser photo? Uh huh. Yeah. That, that sounds great. Oh, single file. It prints it out to a HTML file, not prints actually printing, but creates a sort of downloadable web page version of the same file. It's a really good plugin. Can you just save page as? No, because that mangles everything and then all the links don't work properly and, ah, oh, it's horrible. No, no, use single file. It's very good. Print to PDF? Nah, but it's not, you can't really interact with PDF quite as nice as a HTML page. I use tags in Pocket a lot and it's really frustrating that you can't always set the tags easily. The Android version of Pocket, when you add it to Pocket, it lets you select a tag from like the window that appears, but nothing else lets you do that. You do it in Firefox, for example, and it just says added to Pocket. It's so convenient to add tags when you actually add it to Pocket. And I guess it's that kind of organization that I like. It's like bookmarks, but an endless Gmail inbox of bookmarks. But then you always end up with that to-do or to-source folder, yeah. which I have <laughs> in several locations. That's why you tag it when you add it. Otherwise, it just gets lost, yeah. Hmm. I'm surprised no one's made ispocketopensourceyet.com. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Don't be buying another domain, Will. Come on. Mucky pocket. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, 
It's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night-linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. Let's talk about gaming then. And first, just quickly to laugh at Google over Stadia. It is on its way out. No, no, they're they're surely safe now. They've attached themselves to the anchor of Peloton. (laughs) Real opportunity there at Peloton. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Especially if you get laid off and get a free subscription. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, yeah, I think we talked about this several months ago. It looks like they're going to pivot to a white label service for other people to use, like Peloton, on their bikes or whatever, their treadmills. And the consumer-facing side of things has just basically failed. They don't have the budget anymore to go after the AAA games. And you'd be an idiot to spend any money investing in games in Stadia because it is going away. It might take another year or so to finally die, but it's not looking good. So shocking. I know, it's proper (laughs) like, oh, wow, who could have seen this coming? Keep a lookout for the cheap controllers, though, guys. They work quite well. But only wired. Yeah. Annoyingly. But who cares for that kind of price? I think it says a lot that I bought one of the controllers as well with a 20 quid deal and I've used the controller but I haven't even used the trial. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you're alone. All right, other gaming news though. The Steam Deck. Now, the early review units are out. There's some quite salty Linux content creators who didn't get one because... They seem to be laboring under the illusion that Valve actually gives a shit about Linux and uh, (laughs) sees it as anything more than an implementation detail just to, you know, just like the operating system on a washing machine or whatever. Like, Did you not get one, Joe? (laughs) (laughs) No, the bar system. What am I going to do with it? I just install XFCE on it, for fuck's sake. They're not going to give me one, are they? Uh, But anyway, so... It's looking good. They are huge like Xbox by the sounds of things or by the looks of things compared to even a Game Gear looks small compared to it. And the Game Gear was fucking enormous. (laughs) So that's quite interesting. And the battery life is a little bit lacking apparently, but you'd think that software fixes could uh, help that. Yeah, I think I've watched a couple of those videos and generally I'm very impressed by what it looks like they've put together, I'm still really excited about it. The battery life thing doesn't surprise me. Um, some of those stats come from running things at unlimited frame rates and, you know, PC is so difficult to tie down with this kind of stuff. There's been some 2D game benchmarks and they seem okay, but also I would expect poor battery life. It's like a fully fledged PC for half the price of the competition. Um, and I, I'm sure it will improve and I'm still like, really excited about it. Did you get your link yet? No, no, I haven't got a link, no. Yeah, I think realistically, if you're going to travel with it, you're going to be traveling with a portable charger, like an anchor thing or whatever. Yeah, or you'll be prepared to drop down to 30 FPS or play a different kind of game if you you really need something to last for a long flight. 
It's quite cool that they've made the CAD files available for the like the external bit of it at least, so that you can 3D print it and feel it in the hand and see if you actually want to buy one. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I've seen Valve do something similar with uh, the the index controllers, their VR headset controllers, um, to be able to fit different sized hands. You can 3D print different shaped grips. Um, so it's really cool that they obviously do this stuff in-house, probably. Um, so they've got the files, so they release them. I don't know if it'll lead to a load of three third-party uh, backs for those, but I've, the cooling seems to be really fundamental to the design, so probably not. It'll enable, I think, a, an ecosystem of bits that you can clip on, much like the Game Boy. You know, you had a clip-on light and a clip-on screen magnifier. Now, probably not for this device, but extra bits and bobs that you can attach to it, I would think, like uh, an extra battery component on the back or something. Those arcade machine joysticks. <laughs> but there won't be any Fortnite. Epic have uh, confirmed that, that they're not going to make Fortnite work on it, which sucks. Or is that just not the target market? No, I think it does suck. Um, I kind of some sympathy with Epic because a huge game like Fortnite relies on the fact that people can't cheat or can't easily cheat. And Linux is a whole different proposition, I suppose, and people can install their own kernels. And I think that's what uh, Tim Sweeney said in his tweet about this. Um, Hopefully the Steam Deck will be successful enough that they'll have to reconsider and find a way around it. So, Will, last time you said you were going to try dual-booting your gaming PC with Linux. So you bought an SSD that Phelan recommended, and you kept us somewhat up-to-date in our Telegram group about how you got on. It seems not brilliantly, but somewhat okay. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised that everything that I tried to run, eventually I could get running. That, I think, is a a miracle of science, the fact that that even worked. What's not quite so good is the the install experience on a couple of Grand Theft Auto games, 4 and 5, both exhibited the same bug, which was lockup of the computer, all the RAM got used, all the swap got used, and then the whole thing just locked solid. And then I turned it off and back on again and launched the game again, and then it worked. And that happened twice. So it's not like a fluke. This is obviously a, one of many bugs in the system, I'm sure. But nevertheless, it did actually launch, and I played GTA Five over lunchtime for probably 20 minutes, so not a really good shakedown. But I played it for long enough to see if it worked, and it worked, and I could play the game. Performance-wise, it didn't feel quite as fluid as I think it feels on Windows. Now, I haven't done a direct comparison because it takes quite a long time to, you know, boot from one to the other and and try it out. And I haven't done any um, screen grabs or anything like that. But perhaps I will do. Perhaps I'll record some some content and compare the two videos. Um, In fact, yes, I will do. That would be a, a useful thing to do. But it just doesn't feel quite as responsive and quite as fluid as it did on Windows. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe that's all in my head. But yeah, the, uh, I tried a few other games. I don't know what game engines they, they use. I don't think, um, well, I have no idea what GTA Five uses. The other game I tried was Scum, which um, I, I don't know what that uses. But it's pretty graphically heavy and it felt the same. It felt just a little bit laggy around the sides. But nevertheless, it loaded and I was able to to play the game for a little while. So yeah, all things considered, my summary is it works just. But not well enough to actually use it. I don't think so, no. 
See, Will's wrong, and it's because he bought a shitey NVIDIA card that it doesn't work properly, because I have almost the exact same PC, but I have an AMD RX 580, and it works perfect. Like, perfect. Interesting. So I'm on a GTX 1060, which I think is pretty much com- comparable, like, performance-wise. Yeah. So maybe it is. Maybe it's the drivers. Maybe that's the only difference. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Oh, well, just buy an AMD card. I hear it's quite easy to get one at the moment. My son's got one in his gaming PC, so if I can convince him to lend it to me, I might give that a go. I think you just remind him who paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> you could maybe swap for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Tell him about all the machine learning you can do with yours. Give him some of that sweet crypto. Yeah, or tell him about deep fakes. <laughs> You'll never get it back. His friend listens to this podcast, hello Dylan, and uh, we'll probably put him onto it. <laughs> That's quite disturbing that children listen to this. You should turn off now and listen to something far more wholesome. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for more details there. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And that feed includes all the shows in the Late Night Linux family, including Linux Downtime, which you should check out the recent episode that I did with Joey from OMG Ubuntu. That was very good. Yeah, it was really great to talk to him. You don't normally hear from him. You normally just read his words, but to hear his voice was uh, good. And also Linux After Dark. We had a confessional episode recently. It made me so angry my phone is lucky it's still not in a river. (laughs) You still haven't emailed in to tell us why, Phelim. Every time I do it, I waste a new keyboard. I have to get a new one. Fair enough. Well, we were talking about how we don't always use the, the FOSS thing for every possible thing that we could be doing. Like, I use my ISP router, for example. It was it was quite the confessional. And we've had quite a few emails in from people who said, oh, thank you for admitting it, because, yes, yeah, sometimes it's just more hassle than it's worth to go the FOSS route. Can you give me a list of these people? <laughs> yeah, I'll do. Your email will bounce, failing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But anyway, so you get those two shows as well as this ad-free and also occasionally early if I edit them before they're scheduled to be released. That's all on Patreon. So latenightnews.com slash support for details there. And if you want to get in contact with us for ideas or feedback or anything, show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. The first one is Plasma 5.24, which is quite a big release, although I've heard it's a little bit buggy. Yeah, it came out last week. Now, I haven't seen any real bugs from my end, so maybe I've just been lucky. Um, But there's a fair few things coming out, and we've talked about them quite a bit already. Uh, Nico has a very good video that you can follow through if you want to, but the Color Accents is now a new standard, so other non-KD apps can also use it, which is quite cool. And the dot one release of it will be out tomorrow. So a whole lot of updates, etc. will be there too. And all those bug fixes for anybody who might have had them. And calendar 1.0 is out. Yeah, it's not quite out in Neon yet. They've still got uh, 0.4, but um, I actually installed that the other day and it's very, very nice looking. So one will be out very soon. And there's a whole lot of features that they've added to that. And it's, it's nice to see it's getting released out to all the distros. All right. And what's Plasma Mobile Gear? So this is the mobile version of Plasma that has all the apps kind of customized and tweaked for, they're all the same apps, but there's a lot of ones that are customized for the small form factor. 
And they've done a whole lot of work on that. And the status bar quick settings panel is one of the nice looking features of it there. And the task switcher, they've improved that. So it actually works really well on a Pine phone as well by reusing parts of the uh, home screen and stuff. So they've done a lot of work on that and the clock stuff is going in there. They've obviously got the new browser Angelfish and uh, NeoChat for Matrix and stuff like that, which is quite good, and loads of work in the settings. So there's a nice search feature in there and sort of more straightforward navigation. So a lot of work there. And uh, for anybody who's got a Pine Phone Pro, it'd be nice to try it out. All right, and so Plasma 5.25 development has started. Yeah, and just two things that caught my uh, One was the starting the overhaul of the Discover interface, which... Yeah, it's not terrible, but it, it could be better. And they're, they've already started work on that. So it, it just typical, like within a, a space of a week of finishing one, they've already started the new one. And uh, something that might like for the people who like their keyboard shortcuts, the panel is starting to get keyboard activated for people who can memorize more than five shortcuts like me. Right. Well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about our discoveries and covering some of your feedback. But until then... I've been Joe. And I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.